Hi, good morning, everybody. My name is Joanne Butcher. This is The Filmmaker's Life. And as always, I'm very interested in discussing the business aspects of film. And so I interview filmmakers who have moved further along in their careers and basically are inspiration for the rest of the filmmakers who, who want to make their films. So I want to introduce you today to Howard and Mitzi Allen, who are based in Antigua and Barbuda. Is that correct? Am I saying that correctly? Antigua. Yeah. Antigua. What did I say? Antigua. Yeah. Ah, Antigua and Barbuda. Yeah. Antigua and Barbuda. Yeah. I got the the use wrong. <laughs> um. So. I always start uh, with the same question, and now we have two of you, so we'll we'll see. You'll have to give you'll give different answers for this. Okay. So, when did you first know that you were a filmmaker? Oh, start with Howard. <laughs> <laughs> this is a storyteller. Go ahead. <laughs> I was always interested in filmmaking as as a child. Although, interestingly enough, I did not grow up with um, TV in my house. My, ah. yeah, yeah, my mother didn't want us to have a TV in the house. I think it, it was, um, just didn't think it was a good thing. But ah. I, always, I always understood the filmmaking process, even before I was making films. And so I, I would be the, the one explaining to the other, the other kids, how the process worked. <laughs> well, what do you mean that you understood the process? What do you understood, mean? That I understood that the, the, that the, the scene had to be shot and then it had to be edited. Ah. I understood um, that, that they had to record the song separately and then it was made. How did you know all of that? <laughs> how did you know that? I guess, I guess because, well, first I had, I had access to a camera my ah. who lived in England at the time had a, a, a 16, I think it was a 16 millimeter camera. Uh-huh. Where, where in England did you write, live? He lived in, well, I think he still does in Leicester. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I grew up in, in London, so. But I never lived in England. Right, right, <laughs> right, right. You come on vacation and he had this, uh -huh. camera, he just record like vacation footage. Wow, wow. I never actually shot anything with it, but I could hold it in my hand and look at it. And and and, and that, just having that camera gave you... And the, then of course I would read a lot. Um, most of the, the, the books I read when I was little were science books. <laughs> ah. I understood the, the process of making films, that the, that the films had to be developed. Mm -hmm. I understood that. That's so interesting. Um, I, I'm always fascinated by everybody's answer to this question, but um, the, the, that as a child, understanding that, um, I have a, a friend who's becoming quite a successful director in England, and I met him when he was about 12. No, younger, younger than that. And I had him on the filmmaker's life, and I asked him this question, and he and the answer he gave was, 
Well, it was when you, Joanne, were making a film and my brother was acting in it. <laughs> and I realized, oh, people make films. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was so great. But yeah, yeah. As a child, he he was like, oh. <laughs> so what about, yeah. oh, go, ahead. go ahead. No, go ahead. There was, a, there was a, the, the local TV station, the government-owned TV station was just, a couple of miles away from where I lived. And so myself and my brother, we would walk to where the TV station was and they would let us in and we would just sit on the floor and watch them do their work. Wow. <laughs> oh my goodness. And that, that... they never shot on film. They, they, the, 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 the programming they had was on film, but they never actually produced anything on film. But they uh -huh. had to edit the commercials together and, and that kind of thing, yeah. That's amazing that they let you in and just let you sit there. <laughs> That's very, very, was not my experience growing up. I grew up in London and I didn't really get it until I moved to Miami that yeah. I could be involved, you know, and I, and, and after I went to Miami and all of a sudden I was involved in everything uh, creatively, um, I remember thinking, you know, in London, there was a line of people waiting to sweep the floor. Yeah. you know and and i didn't have, feel that sense of access you know but that's really really um interesting so you really started young amazing and really the only thing that stopped me from making films earlier was just the the prohibitive cost of the equipment yeah the, the uh, well, film equipment would have been out of the question because we would not we wouldn't even have a lap back then to process the film. Right. Process, right. I think to Antigua that would process film would be like Puerto Rico or Venezuela at the time. Yeah, yeah. I started filmmaking with Super 8. Right. And, you know, remember that, you know, and sending the film away and the cost and, you know, it's a very interesting thing. Did you actually ever get to shoot on film at no. a young age? No. Yeah. I've handled film, but uh -huh. I've shot anything yeah I just think it's very interesting because you know with with super eight and having that little role of three minutes yeah. of film and having to learn how to tell a story in a very 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 finite amount of time you don't get that discipline from video yeah and I think film I think film really does give you the, the, the discipline to manage to um manage your film stock you know, manage your footage. Yes. <laughs> they, um, I, I, I see a lot of like young filmmakers and they'll just let the camera roll. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> and well, then 10 hours of footage of just... Right. <laughs> and then, then you have to edit it. <laughs> Mitzi, what about you? When did you first think, oh, filmmaking, this is for me? Well, and Howard said that it's possible. <laughs> oh. My background, I, I'm a, I'm a, a journalist, uh, a broadcast journalist. That's how I began. And wow. when I met Howard, Howard is the storyteller. And um, he said, well, uh, you can produce the content. And he said, produce? I don't know how to do that. He said, well, if you're a TV producer and you're producing one minute segments each night for the news, just Think of, I mean, he's really simplifying it, producing a story that's much longer, you know? 
And uh, basically, I think um, I realized that I was doing it when by uh, film number four, when we had a full crew and all Howard had to do was direct, you know, um, and I was working with a cinematographer that I didn't have this shorthand language with, and I, I had to do uh, more with more people. I, I said, wow, I'm making a movie. I'm a filmmaker. I'm a producer. <laughs> You know, so how did you miss that for the first three films? How did you miss that? How did I miss that? Because for me, I'll tell you, my job in 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 a place that doesn't have a structure in Antigua and Barbuda, we there isn't a uh, we don't have a film industry. There is no structure. My job and our films are all self financed. My job was to make sure that, uh, as I saw it, was to make sure that we could keep the film, make the film in the, with the budget that we have and still keep the lights on at home. You know, that, that was my job. And I mean, the fancy title they have is producer. Well, fine. Well, you know, you know, bringing the team together and making it all happen and making sure that we can um, eke out a living from the thing that we love to do most. You know, and so I said, yeah, well, yeah, I guess, uh, yeah, I'm a filmmaker, but I didn't feel as confident in the role until film number four, because then I had a lot of other people around uh, that I had to to work with. You know, the, the story of our first film, The Sweetest Mango, it's a, it's a story uh, that it's a story I wrote in my diary that uh, I shared with Howard and he decided we could make a movie with this. And Howard uh, did everything. He was the crew. We had a young man that was helping him. Um, and I was there sort of marshalling the people. So really, it, it did take till film number four, where everything had expanded and there were more people involved, where I felt like, yes, I'm actually doing this. You know, um, he was always very confident in my ability. And I was like, well, I don't know. I don't but know. Managed to, to keep it going, it's been, you know, it's been 30 years of working together as collaborators in film and television work. And so, um, yeah, but it, it took me a while to have that same kind of confidence, you know. It's funny, you know, um, I love the, the what you said was to, to I, I can't remember how you said it now, I, I want to rewind. Um, you said to make the film and keep the lights on at home. Yes. Right? To, to have that, that balance. Yeah. I find that I work a lot on that with my clients. You yeah. know, I remember one time a client of mine, we were talking about something. I said, oh, and then you probably need to buy that. And he said, I don't have any money. And I said, what? He said, well, I quit my job when I started working with you. I said, what are you talking about? I didn't you to do that. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> it's, it's make the film and keep the lights on at home, yes. right? <laughs> yes. That's really, and then the other thing about your story, I think is so interesting. One of my clients today put a post on LinkedIn and he said, you know, when I, he had my his first call with me, I said, I think you might be a producer. And he was really offended. Oh, really? Because... Uh, because he thought of himself as the creative. Oh, okay. Yes. Right. And and so you know, I, I joke back. You know, I said, "Well, I better be more careful what I call people from now on." But um, you know, I think that 
so many times when I speak to filmmakers, they really don't understand what a producer is. Yes. They don't understand. As far as I'm concerned, the producer is the one with the vision. It's interesting that you said yeah. you had the story written in your... Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, but so the producer to me is the one with the vision mm -hmm. and then the ability to implement that vision, you know? That's interesting that you say that because um, I, my vision as a producer is really to uh, make sure that what Howard wants to have happen as a director and a storyteller happens. Cause he was, I read my, an excerpt from my diary and he said, that's, that would make a good film. I didn't have that vision. I was just, uh, I mean, the, the backstory to that is that uh, it was, uh, it was during a Hurricane Lewis and there was no electricity. We'd read every well, book after Hurricane, after Hurricane Lewis. Uh -huh. No electricity, uh, read every book in the house. And I started to read excerpts from my, my journal. And the uh -huh. one that I read was about how, my impression of him when we met, how we met, you know? And, um, you know, I was called The Sweetest Mango, our first, our first film. So, um, I believe a producer is really a manager. I don't see the a producer as a um, someone that's that necessarily has the the vision or the visionary. I see my my role as more managerial, more coordinating, making sure that it happens. Certainly throughout the process, and some, sometimes to much to his chagrin, I would jump in and say. It happened this way. So there is a point in this process where I see nothing. I do not see the film. He's editing. Uh -huh. I have no idea what's going on because he doesn't want anyone to interfere with right. what he has going. Not that he's not open afterwards to, you know, um, feedback because he will tell you that that's how he, he, he learned how to do what he does by sitting in audiences and hearing what people say and how they react to the words and uh, that he's put on the paper and how he's put the images together. So I see myself, I have a vision now, I can say this, I have story ideas now. Um, I want us to work on, uh, continue our work on a drama series that we, we did many years ago. But certainly um, I really do see myself as um, making it all work, making sure that it is, it is financial, the whole process is financially viable, right. uh, pulling him back when, uh, uh, for some things that he will want in the story. And I said, well, how do we get that? How do we afford that? How do we afford that? No, you want the helicopter. How are we going to afford that? How are we, you know, so um, yeah, very much uh, managerial coordinating. And it goes back to my strengths in the team that we are, you know, um, the communications, the coordinating, pulling people together, the planning, all of that. Um, so um, yeah, I um, maybe my vision for certain things will come alive and I will hire Howard to direct. And <laughs> right now it's his stories are, that are in play, really, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, it's I think it's very uh, unclear a lot of times for filmmakers to really understand what a producer does. Yeah. You know, and they often dream of having a producer, but they don't really know what the producer does. <laughs> you know, so. I tell you um, that uh, when I was working on the same film, uh, The Skin, which I thought was where I I started to feel like I was a filmmaker and I was really doing it. 
one of the things that Carl Bradshaw, the Jamaican film icon said to me was, uh, oh, I was having a bad day. And I said, he said, how we picked him up at the airport. He came in to do his part. And he said, how's it going? I said, I'm not having a good day. I'm butting heads with the cinematographer because this is the first time I'm working with someone other than Howard behind the camera. Uh, and yes. he said to me, um, be good to your cinematographer. They all want to direct. <gasps> and if you're good to your cinematographer, your film is going to be beautiful because most guys are women behind the camera eventually want to direct. And he says, and he will give you uh, the best looking film. And, and it is true because when I would be rushing him on, on, on a scene, he would say, when I leave here, I want Howard to have all the footage he needs to put it, this thing together. So, you know, there are vision, I guess the, the whole point of the vision you ask a cinematographer, you ask somebody that shoots, they want to direct, they have a story to tell. And I, I, I accepted that, that the people who shoot also have a vision for what they would like to, the world to see, apart from what the director is bringing. Yeah. That's a, that was a wonderful bit of coaching that Carl Bradshaw gave yeah. you, <laughs> you know, because it, it sounds like it could shift from a relationship that feels like butting heads to a yeah. relationship that feels like a collaboration. Exactly. And knowing that everybody is really out to do the best for the film. Right. You know, right. If, you've, if you've hired the right people, everybody is out to do the best for the film. Right. And um, and the collaboration is what everybody really wants. Yes, yes, right. yes. So Howard, what was it that... Um, brought you to make your first feature film? How did you make the shift? I, I see a lot of times filmmakers start making shorts and they keep making shorts and keep making shorts. How did you find the, the courage or I'm not sure what it was, but I don't want to put words in your mouth. How did you make your first feature? Well, um, I never did shots. Oh, you didn't? I never made short film. Oh. Working in television, uh -huh. TV programs, um, you know, TV, standard TV shows. And uh, when Mickey and I decided to leave the, the, the TV station and go on our own, um, and then the hurricane, well, we were, we were always talking about doing our own productions. Um, but I think it's after the hurricane happened and we were kind of at home, like Mitzi said, just reading all the books <laughs> in the apartment. <laughs> yeah. I think that's where the idea of doing our first film, that's where it was born, right? Um, and I was not interested in doing a short film because I, I actually wanted um, something that had um, commercial value. Right. I wanted to be able to, to sell it. I wanted to be able to, to show it in a cinema and get people to come and see it. And I didn't think a short film would be able to do that. Right. And, um, and I wanted the film to make um, a real statement in Antigua at the time, because um, it was um, going into uh, the turn of the, the turn of the millennium. Yeah, that's <laughs> 2000. 
2000, and so there was a lot of excitement around that. And yeah. I wanted that film to be part of that excitement, sort of. Um, so I wanted to be a kind of like milestone kind of project that we were working on to remember that time. Uh -huh. Sorry, I interrupted you, I'm sorry. I, I just wanted to ask, so not only were you making your first feature film, but you were making the first feature in the entire country. Yeah, yes. in the country yes. and then there, there were there were uh, two films that yeah. were made before that, but they were short films. They were short films. Uh -huh. One yeah. was actually shot on uh, 16 millimeter, mm -hmm. late late 70s, and mm -hmm. the other one was shot on um, pneumatic, pneumatic um, video. That would have been in the nice mid to late mid to late 80s. Yeah. Mm. And, and right. while we were but, busy, yeah, but ours was the first like yeah. feature length film, yeah. yeah. And we would find out later that it was not just the first uh, uh, indigenous feature film for Antigua and Barbuda, but it was also for the Eastern Caribbean. Yeah, yeah. What what what's included in the Eastern Caribbean? We would make up islands like um, Dominica, Saint Lucia, Saint Vincent and the Grenadines, yeah, Montserrat. Montserrat mm -hmm. uh, did you say Grenada? I know I didn't say um, Grenada. Um, the Leeward Islands. The Leeward yeah, Islands. The islands. islands. Yeah. yeah. Right. That's and amazing. And not even Barbados at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. So, so launching out and making a feature film and being the first. What what did people say? Were people supportive or were they like? No, I don't think they even grasped. I'll tell you this. Um, um, even when it was done and we had a screening and we were all standing outside, this one woman said, oh, does, everybody has to go inside because they, they thought it was a play. They couldn't wrap their heads around the fact that it was actually saying, a movie. When is, when is the play showing? When is the play showing? Uh, they um, wrap their minds around one, that. One night we were outside yeah. and one of the actors was outside and somebody said to him, you need to get back in. You need in to the, get back the, in. The, because, the, the show yeah. is supposed to start. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There was no, um, uh, there was no reference point for something uh, local. I don't think, I don't think yeah. Because I mean, people understood, understood the concept movies, of a movie. But it was just beyond us, uh, you but, know. But um yeah. yeah, I think it got some getting used to the idea that it was. That's amazing. I, I just last night was watching a show on Netflix. It's a French show and it's called The Bonfire of the Charity. Do you know it? I've heard of it, yes. Ah, anyway, it, it's, I think it's probably, yes, it's based on true stories. Anyway, um, there's this big event and in one of the tents or the sections of this bazaar, they have a cinematograph machine. Mm. Yes. Yes. So people are going and seeing film for the first time and they show the footage of the train coming yes. and people screaming in the audience. <laughs> yes, and because I, it feels real. It was such a wonderful scene. And I've heard about that. Um, and I, I, I'm very fascinated by how they're, they're doing research now that shows that our brains are so, are speeding up at an incredible rate, being able to process mm -hmm. 
edited storytelling. Like we're so used to watching film and seeing cut, 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 you know. And um, but the people there were not. And this this is what you're you're describing that the audience just couldn't have a concept of seeing themselves in that two D format that yeah. was for other people. That's right. And the key thing that you're saying there is seeing yourselves, because at the time that our film came out, there was the Titanic, there was uh, the Fast and the Furious, there were lots of other uh, movies showing in the cinema. But for some reason, when you, you talk about us there on this tiny island in Antigua and Barbuda, having a movie for you to come and sit and watch, they were not able to grasp that. Right. I, I tell the story. I have a friend, Sergio Hiral. He's in his late 80s. He's yeah. an Afro-Cuban director. And when he first uh, defected to the U.S., I was put in charge of a series of screenings of his films. And he has made films about the history of Afro-Cuba, Afro-Cuban Afro life since the first slave ships arrived. And the first night I was supposed to do a Q&A after the first movie that we showed. And instead of doing a Q&A, I couldn't speak. Wow. And it, it wasn't until later I was able to articulate that it was the first time I had seen my ancestors on film. I, I didn't even mention, but I'm half Trinidadian, right? So I'm half Trinidadian and my father who just died was Trinidadian, he was black. And, and so even though it was Afro-Cubans, mm -hmm it was pretty close to, you know, and I was, I was unable to speak. And I tell people this because filmmakers need to realize the power of the storytelling that we're doing, the, the power of what you're just describing, that people couldn't even actually mentally get the idea that we are on the screen. That's right. That's correct. Yeah, and that is part of, uh, you know, well, not part, that is why we do what we do, is to uh, create that mirror for ourselves, even with the stories that we tell, and also to preserve our culture and our way of life, you know, as authentically as we possibly can, you know, and not try to mimic what we think uh, others want to see of us, you know, and, and how they, they think we are, you know, and... Um, so yeah, it, it, is, uh, it is amazing that, um, I'll tell you a story. When we, um, when we told the guy at the cinema how many people had uh, seen our film, our first film, The Sweetest Mangle, he said they had never had that many people uh, come to see any of the blockbuster films. And that was where we understood that there was power in what we were doing. And I'm telling you at the time, there was Fast and the Furious and there was the Titanic. You know, yes. our film ran when we eventually got into the cinema because we screened our work independently for a very long time and we still do for the most part. Um, it ran for three solid months. Oh my God. Yeah. I used to run the cinema, so I know what three months is. Yeah. yeah. It's a very long run. A very successful film would run for six weeks. Six weeks was a very mm -hmm. successful film. Yes. yes. Right on our home turf. 
if that was invalidation for us, nothing else would be. And it, 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 it empowered us to keep on telling stories. And Howard had a lot of lot he wanted to say, you know. In, and in just to, to, from a business perspective, having a film run three months, did that already have you make back the money that you had spent on the film just from the, the box office? Not from the not from the just okay. from the box office on, in that instance because we went crazy with the sweetest mango because it was our first film and yeah, we, we paid we went totally over budget. <laughs> we went totally <laughs> over budget. You know, this is why I say to you, it took number four. I'm in charge of the budget. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not how much would you like to pay? And they say, pay me this, thinking that it's Hollywood. And we do, you know, it just, I go, okay, I'll give you that. Um, because here's- Oh, but, 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 but I just have to say, and I want to hear this, but I just have to say, I have producers as clients and they'll come to me and I'll say, but you, you don't have the money for that. And they'll say, oh, but the writer, uh, director said that it has to be this. And I'm like, no. Right, okay, <laughs> well, right. So I learned that movie number one. For us, it was all trial and error. We didn't have someone like you who would sit, sit down and say, here's how it goes. I was just gone <laughs> doing it. So um, one of the interesting things that we did, and I, and I know you can understand this because you have a Caribbean background, the two very important things is food and transportation. And food, because they eat, they run, well, in, in, in any industry, but particularly so in the Caribbean, they work on their stomachs. If there's gonna be food, they will show up and they will work. And the other thing was transportation. And for us, transportation was because no matter where you were on the island, we wanted you on location, on time. And we weren't going to risk it. Everybody, the one time we risk it, and that's another story we can tell you, the one time we risked us saying, sure, meet us here for this time, it didn't work, right? And so- Three hours later. Right, or not at all, right? Because, you know, so, and these were just some extras that we really needed. Uh, so what, what we did was um, I had everybody get picked up from their house. And so I had a big bus and we did the whole, I didn't care where you lived on the island, we picked you up. So pickup started at 3 a.m. to ensure that everybody was going to be on location at 6 a.m. And so I was waking people up in the morning. I would call them. And that was the first time uh, I got, we got our cell phones. That's, we got our cell phones because of that movie. Uh -huh. Everybody else had cell phones. We didn't. And at, at that point, it's yeah, for, for no, the second, second one. Yeah. So I was calling people, waking them up at three, we you know, we were phones. using other people's phones. That's correct. <laughs> <laughs> other people's phones to call and say, hi, it's three o'clock. This is your wake up call. And then when the bus was in the area, I would say, hi, we're just around the corner. Come outside. You know, and they will all tell you this. They all remember it because I was like the drill master, you know. So our budget, if anybody came and said, uh, let's see how you spent your money on this film. Food and transportation took a huge chunk of that, you yeah. know. And I would have my North American filmmaking friends say, Nancy, you're an independent filmmaker. Chips and pop, chips and pop. I said, no, not in the Caribbean. No chips, oh. no pop. You know, uh, proper, proper, proper meals. Yeah. To the point where um, when we got to movie number four and we had uh, 
an, an international actor on the on set and he saw you know uh, real dishes and real meals he was like wow he was so very impressed with it all. I said, this is important. I, I've learned what's important in the budget, but not to go crazy about it, but understanding you know, what will work. So to back to your question, the sweetest mango has since done very well for itself, but it took a long time because we, we treat every film like a five-year plan. And okay. in, in five years, we expect to make this much. So we've done uh, independent screenings. We had our film on DVD. We have, as a matter of fact, Howard sold, we, he took some DVDs of our first film, which is now 23 years old, to the Trinidad and Tobago Film Festival, and he sold them all. That's great. That's great. Yeah. So, yeah, so it, the, the, the sweetest mango is still sweet, you know? Yes. And so we treat each of our films as a new project, a new business model onto itself. Uh-huh, right, you right. Know, and so, it's, its own peculiarities based on, you know, the story and the people that we get, the people, yeah. you know, receive it, yeah. With, with The Sweetest Mango now, 23 years old, um, I, 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 are you seeing an increase in income by any chance? Yeah, yes. Okay, I, that, I just, I'm just so interested in that. Sorry, go ahead. That, that would happen is every uh, carnival mm -hmm. and every Christmas in Antigua, we'll see a spike. Yeah. Because that's when Antiguans come back home uh -huh. to visit. And so they'll take the film back to the DVDs, back to their, their family back in the UK or the mm -hmm. US or wherever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, as a gift. And also too, when we, uh, Every time we make a new film, everybody wants to see the first one. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. also, too, the first one is very personal. The Sweetest Mango is based on how Howard and I met and fell in love. That's the story. It's a romantic comedy. Mm -hmm. And um, so everybody's always curious about that. And so we get people who just want to see it. And, you know, we have family members who would say, I would say the names have been changed to protect the innocent. And then for a long time, it was just one of our friends when we were on location, somebody who knew Howard when we were shooting the film, he flipped through the script and he, he looked at Howard, he looked at me, he looked at Howard, he looked at me and he said, I, I think I know this story, you know? <laughs> and, but we, we never really divulged that that's what it was. Uh -huh. and, uh, it was when it hit the screen and everybody was excited about the, the whole process that, um, uh, somebody said, well, it's based on, uh, uh, it's their story. And then boom, sales went up, boxes boomed, all of that, which was wonderful. Interesting. You know? the, the reason day. I was wondering about if sales have increased, yeah. um, and I, I just think this is the most exciting news for any filmmaker, you know, because they're struggling, they're trying to make their first feature, that, but to know 23 years later, the film is increasing in its income generation but the, the the question i'm i'm wondering is we just actually passed as far as i know the 10-year anniversary of the first avod platform first advertising supported video on demand platform okay. and i wondered if you're seeing more income from avod platforms now is that something that you're seeing with the sweetest mango no, uh, yeah. for us the DVDs, the DVDs were were the um, I think the best the revenue best. earner yeah. that that Steady. we ever had. Yes, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Steady right. with the DVDs. You do get online sales, but it's nothing, <laughs> nothing close to what yeah. you got with the DVD yeah. sales. Yeah. And what was really good about the DVDs is we will do uh, an independent screening, let's say here in Toronto. Mm -hmm. right? And let's say we charge $20 for the screening. Uh, people would come, pay $20 for the screening and still pay another $20 to buy the DVD. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. and um, that was very, that very common. Mm -hmm. We actually believe our model, um, we believe, and, and, I, and, and a lot of, I guess, a lot of artists too, that the independent screenings are where, or what they call four walling, you know, mm -hmm. has worked for us over the years. And, um, and I think it will continue to, to work for us, even though they, we have all these distribution uh, platforms. I, we see, and we talk, because a lot of people are asking us now, where can we see Deep Blue? Where can we see Deep Blue? It'll take a while to get there, unless, of course, we're picked up by a major distributor, because we see those platforms as the final resting place of our film, where we have given it over to the world. Do you know? Um, meaning, meaning there there are other places to show the film before it goes to right exactly what, what the platforms yeah. uh, what what the um online platforms is it gives us a broader reach mm -hmm. so we basically can reach people wherever they are yeah if you're in china and you yeah. know until you go online click, mm -hmm. you know whatever yeah um which which is harder to do with a dvd Yes. In terms of distribution, mm -hmm. but in terms of actual sales, the DVDs have, have always done that. Yeah. And would you say that the majority of your sales is coming from Antigua? No. Antigua. Antigua. I said it wrong again. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, no, no, no. Actually, no. no. Um, it's, it's coming out of the United, United States, States and, yeah. and the UK. And the UK. Yeah. And the UK. And then oh. scattering in places where Antiguan students are studying, like if they're in China, all of a sudden we'll see a we'll see a spike. Yeah. Uh, students wherever they are will ask if they can screen it on campus. They want to they want to be able to share it, and then when they do, we see a spike from that territory because their friends now want to own it. Uh, that type of thing. Yeah, but mo mostly out of the U.S. because you know at Antigua and Barbuda, the population one hundred thousand people, and many yeah, the of them is about and, and the diaspora or, or more. Yeah, you know, and and I think um, twenty percent. This uh, about twenty percent of the population in Antigua and Barbuda have seen our films. You know, we have a good chunk of people who have seen it right there on the island. And yes. then, of course, it's word of mouth. You know, um, when we started this, there was no internet, no uh, no uh, no uh, streaming platforms, and all of that. And so it's it's amazing. I mean, you you can't sit there in the cinema and tell somebody right away, "This is a good film," or "This film sucks." You'd hear about it later. You know, so it it is amazing how things have changed, and we really do depend on um, what they now call film ambassadors. That's what they call them. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. <laughs> you know, and people... who are your film? What do they do for you? Pardon? What do your film amb ambassadors do for you? A film, a film ambassador really just someone who has seen the film and is so excited about it that, that they, they spread the word for you. Yes. 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 
Yes. Um, it's interesting. The first film I was ever involved in getting distribution was a Trinidadian film. And the filmmakers were really anti the idea of selling it in the island. I'm not even going to say which, which island, but they were really anti that. They were only interested in U.S. sales. And I think they've since learned what an error that we was. Totally the opposite. We were totally the opposite. Totally the opposite. As a matter of fact, the world came to us, to be quite honest. Mm. Um, Howard had a plan to, to showcase what was possible in Antigua and Barbuda, to showcase Antigua and talent. And, um, and that was the plan. And to tell a story that, um, which we now find out is not so, such an original story about migration and, and falling back in love with, uh, you know, um, your roots and your culture apart from it being a love story, because it's, a, it's, it's my journey of leaving Toronto, leaving working in, in mainstream television and moving back and trying to do the same thing in a different, for me, we in a different environment and how that is perceived, you know? So I think that it's very important that we understand the, that is all a part of the yeah, but there are a lot of Caribbean yeah. filmmakers who do have that attitude. attitude. Yeah, where they, they don't think that the, the 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 local audience is, I don't know, is is, is enough. Yeah, it's, or, or is worthy. I don't know. I see <laughs> but, it. Yeah, I see but, it, and I got um, the yeah. local audience was always my first, my yeah. top priority. Yeah, right? we, because yeah. for me, I thought these are the people that need this the most. Yes, we yes. Don't see ourselves on screen. Yes. I, and um, a part of yeah. what inspired me was when I was working at the TV station, we used to show these really old episodes of a show out of Jamaica called Oliver at Large. Mm -hmm. It was it was like it was a sitcom. Was it the British series? No, no, no. no, no. OK, OK. Jamaican show with, with um, a gentleman, a comedian. Uh huh. And they just have these really funny situations. Mm. But um, we were showing like really poor copies of this thing, like really, <laughs> and it was coming up against the Cosby Show. Uh huh. night, and people would be watching this thing, and they'd be calling, "Who oh, could I get a copy of this?" You know? <laughs> and I'm saying, "A copy of this muddy-looking thing." Yes, it was such a hit because they could see situations that they could identify with the, the characters, the whole thing. They got it, and so. I, I got from that, that people really wanted to see themselves and they wanted to see their own lives up on the screen. Absolutely, absolutely. That was always my interest. I, I was not um, trying to make the next you know, Hollywood blockbuster, which yeah. I find when I speak to a lot of um, Caribbean filmmakers, you know, it, it's like they, they feel like they, um, they, um, they haven't really achieved anything unless yeah. they film, you know, yeah. they collect an award at the, you know, yeah. the, the, Oscar. an Oscar, the yes. Academy Award. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but we were very clear, and this is the other thing too, if from that, and I'm speaking from a business point of view, we are very clear on who our main audience is and we have to service that audience. Yes. So we have Antiguans and Barbudans, then we have the Caribbean, and then yeah. we have the Caribbean diaspora. diaspora. And then anyone who is interested in Caribbean art and culture, you yes. know, we're very clear, you know, yes. so that we, we're, not, we're not trying to be everything. And like Howard would always say to me, let's make sure we get 100% of our 10%. 
Yes, because because the, it's so common for filmmakers to say, you know, well, I, I'm like, who is your audience? Oh, everyone. Everybody. Knows. Yeah. I just went to a filmmaker yesterday and I said, he's African-American. I said, is it possible that you're making films that are about and for, for and about African-Americans? He said, no, they're for everyone. It's uh -huh. very can I just, what my experience has been, a, a well-made film, a good story will reach everyone. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's, it has to be authentic and local and then people can relate. But to try to, uh, try to come up with something that you think will please someone outside of yourself is not the correct approach. And if you think about any film that has of note, that has won awards, it's because it was so intimate and so local that it pulled you in because we, we are all humans and we find ways in which we are the same, you know, the human condition and in ways that we are different and we learn from each other that way. You have nothing to share if you're going to try to pretend to be something other than who you are. I think once the story is genuine, once it comes from a real place and, and you can tap into what is the human condition, it will resonate with- It will resonate. With yeah. Yes. I also learned this from my father who was involved in setting up the laws, the national trust laws in Trinidad, but he always talked about local first. Yes. yes. Local first for, you know, in so many Caribbean islands, I don't know what it's like for you, but are, you know, it's all about tourism yes. and not locals, you know. Yes. So I, I learned that from very early on that, you know, make it for locals first yeah. and then you have something. Yeah. Always been always. Yeah. You know, the Jamaicans have, a, I saw a document, a music documentary, and, you know, in Jamaica, if you make it, the, you, are, you are accepted as a uh, a, a big artist, if your pick, your painting is on a wall, a mural that they have, in yeah. mural, they don't care if you are known outside, you're nobody to them unless they have painted your face on that wall. So they mm -hmm. have that saying, dance a yard before you dance abroad, right? Oh, I love and it, I, love yeah, it. We have to like you first and yes. then we put you out there. I love it, I love it. That's my new mantra. Yeah. I just want to close. I will, we'll open it up to questions, but I want to have my, my closing question. So I, I always like to stay focused on that first film. But yeah. so now with Deep Blue, you, you got to work with Carl Bradshaw. You got to work with a really iconic actor. What do you think is going to be different about this film? And tell us when it's going to be released. Uh, uh, Carl Bradshaw was in the skin, our last oh. film. This, yeah, this film has in Peter Williams, uh, who was done... Who's also he was also in the skin. It has in um, a gentleman by the name of Tom Pritchard who was in The Crown. He mm -hmm. played uh, one of uh, Princess Margaret's love interests. It has it. So we have a number of well-established named actors in this film. This film has an environmental theme. It's dealing with something that's happening globally, as particularly to small island developing states. And um, so far, it has been very well received. It premiered in Antigua in March, and uh, we're here in Toronto. It premiered here. Uh, Howard was just in, in Trinidad. Um, all good responses to it. And what we were hoping is that we start a dialogue about conservation and development. As you mentioned earlier, the islands are all talking tourism, but at what cost? 
And so we tell it in a way that is not only entertaining, but shines a spotlight on the issues concerning you know, climate change development, what we're doing to our coral reefs and our mangroves, you know, not sexy topics that you would think of in a, a you know, but you put it in, in a feature film, you tell them a story, again, the human condition, putting yes, a, that makes it sexy, right, yeah. putting a, a face to these issues, because yeah. we have done a number of documentaries, and we thought uh, it was about time to put it in a feature that would uh, resonate, and Howard wrote a, um, wrote the screenplay, and um, so we're hoping it does start a conversation. Yeah. And this is this film, have you been able to raise funds for this film? I, I see because it has the climate change, the environmental piece, it feels to me as though that would be a film that you would really be able to raise money for. Yes, but strangely enough, I didn't go down that part. I didn't uh, actively pursue any of these funding agencies. Perhaps they will come on board in the back end when they've seen the finished product. Uh, but we stuck to our model of filmmaking. Uh, we invested in, 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 um, in, in it ourselves. We do product placements. And this time around, we had, um, there are people in the community who came on board and uh, Actually, we were toured. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, someone told us that, uh, a filmmaker friend of ours told us that there was funding available. Oh, there yes, was some international funny. funding available oh, yes, for stories with, with an environmental theme. Mm. She told us, you know, you need to speak to the, um, what was it, the director the, of uh, environment? Yeah, environment minister. Well, I spoke to the minister. Yeah. I actually had a, a meeting with the, the, the minister of the environment, and he said, nope, yeah. never heard of it. Never heard of, <laughs> never heard of that fund. <laughs> And that there's another story. And well, I that's think, a whole other story. Yeah, but I think, <laughs> and I think I'm really, I think that, and I'm, I'm so glad you reminded me, that was why I didn't go any further with it. Because right. I'm thinking, okay, if right here in Antigua and Barbuda, right. uh, there is no interest, uh -huh. you know, because I do believe you have to start local. Then how yeah. do I convince somebody on the outside to right. support uh, this initiative? You know, so yeah, but we have been, um, in the trenches with this, we love it. It's our life, and um, we we feel very good about Deep Blue and the responses that we've gotten so far. You know, so perhaps they'll come on on the back end, and we'll get this you know great distribution deal as a result. But um, it has been quite a journey, and we actually uh, love it. You have okay. to love it. We tell all the filmmakers: if you're not in this because you love it. Get out. <laughs> definitely get um, out. Definitely. You have to be very, very passionate. And you have to have something that you want to say as well. You know, have a story. It's about the story. It's not about the gear, you know. Because yeah, that's another not about the glamour. <laughs> the glamour. Oh, yeah. The red carpet, you know. I, I yeah. do get a lot of uh, Caribbean filmmakers. And the, the minute we start to talk, you're like, so what are you using? A red? <laughs> Yeah, focus right. is in the wrong place. Really you know? into, to gear. Let's, let's see if we have somebody who wants to ask a question. I believe Dr. Alberta wants to ask a question. Okay. Hello, everyone. I'm tuning in from Trinidad and Tobago. Oh, congratulations. And, and my question is, after your fourth film, uh, what are your top four important tips to give to, to 
filmmakers operating in the Caribbean space or in film in general? Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, yeah, Deep Blue is number five. So By the might... way, I just wanted to say Dr. Alberto is making a film. So. Oh, nice. Um, know your, well, I'll give mine and then Howard may have to jump in. I will say know your audience. And I'm saying this, uh, you know, I'm, I, I have my producer hat firmly on, okay? Know your audience because that's going to determine how much money your film will make, right? It, know your audience. And I, will, I would say assemble a team that shares your vision. And that was a quote, uh, that was something that Danny Glover, Glover said to, uh, to Howard and I uh, when he was in Antigua. He said, make sure your team shares your vision. The other thing um, is, and Nima Barnett said this to Howard in a masterclass, was it takes a committee to make a movie, but you can't make a movie by committee, okay? So that's, that's three. And I think uh, enjoy the process. You know, it is going to be sometimes uh, daunting, but enjoy every single moment of it. And, uh, and it, it will come through for you. How, what would you say? I, I, I would say just um, understand the, the terrain that you're working in, understand yes. what uh, resources you have available to you, because it's, different in, in different islands. And so once you understand that, once you know, this is what I have uh, you know, ready access to, you make the best of it. And, and, and don't approach it like you're working in Hollywood. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Fabulous. It's so good to see you, Dr. Alberta. So good to see you. Does anybody else have a question they would like to ask? Oh, Mark, thank mm -hmm. you for raising your hand. That makes life so easy. Yeah, I figured you couldn't intuit it. So <laughs> I, I, I left breadcrumbs. Uh, this was a really wonderful uh, and inspiring interview. And I'm really excited about the work that you're doing. And I really resonated with your statement about um, treating your cinematographer really, really good. Yeah. I, I used to, I, I'm a filmmaker. I used to micromanage because I'm also a photographer. And let me take a look at this. And how about if we move it over here like this? And I had such a great cinematographer. I realized that if he was pushing the button, it was better than anything I was going to tell him to do. So I just was wondering if you had any more advice around uh, how to handle and the, the care and uh, and uh, uh, grooming of your uh, cinematographer. <laughs> well, I I think um, asking um, uh, them their thoughts on on on, on certain things, and I'm speaking as as a, produ a producer because mm -hmm. at one point, um, because we, we we have such a small budget, and he really wanted to take his time. And instead of having a discussion with him, which is where we were buddy, I was just telling him, this has to be done by X. Instead of perhaps saying, you know, asking how long do you, more do you think you need? I wanna get the, the, the crew some lunch so that we can move on. So it's always having a conversation with, with them and understanding where they're coming from. You know, like Howard does that beautifully with the actors. He's in sync with them you know, all the way and, 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 and to get the best out of them. 
So I had to learn to have a conversation with the cinematographer uh, so that I had a sense of timing, so that I, underst I understood what he needed from us so that I could art articulate it to the rest of the team. Yeah. Thank you. You, you, you also said, um, know your audience. Oh, yes. Yeah. And, and I'm just wondering, you know, because I have a friend who says that he always guesses wrong the first time about who his audience is. And I'm just wondering if you have any suggestions about how to d determine that. Well, uh, well, I, I would say, um, who are you telling the story to? Why are you telling the story? Why are you telling the story? And who are you telling it to? And that will determine who your audience is. What do you think, Howard? Yeah, pretty much. Um... I think most of the stories I write, I'm, I'm writing for people my age. Yes, that's uh -huh. right. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. Your, your own peer group. I understand that time period. And, <laughs> and I think I understand people from that time. And so when I'm writing, that's the audience I'm thinking of. And the interesting, can I just add here what we've discovered because we, Howard does that, is that we, the audience that are coming to see Deep Blue and, uh, are, and, and at the time that they saw The Sweetest Mango, they were the age that we were then and on and on and on. And even now, the, the audience is our age. But when, the, 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 when, we're, when after they see the film, they say to us, this film needs to be seen by young people. <laughs> says we need to you need a you need to get this into the schools a lot of young people have to 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 see the film so there's our little dilemma right there in that it is geared towards uh an older audience but they that audience is telling us get the young people in here we want them to see this story we want them to to, to you know to be a part of the conversation well they are the ones who are going to have to manage I, I we didn't really talk about this particularly but you know when I go to Trinidad it's so shocking to see the impacts of climate change and I think that I mean I think Americans are seeing it more and more but but when you go to the Caribbean it's just yeah astounding yeah, smaller countries it's in your face it's, yeah 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 islands yeah yeah <laughs> islands yeah, right islands it's in your face well, you know, thank you so much. That was a great question or two, Mark. <laughs> thank you very much. Yeah. Howard and Mitzi, it's been such a pleasure getting to meet you. And uh, I can't wait to hear about um, Deep Blue when it comes out. Please let us know and I'll I'll let my, my peeps know. Yes, I'll let you know that um, we're going to be in Belize um, for, it's going to be the opening film in Belize. Oh, and uh, they can uh, follow us on um, Facebook to know where where it will land and um, see, hear what people have to say after they've seen it. Yeah. So on Facebook, do we just? Um, yeah, Hammer Films Antigua. Hammer Films. Oh, okay. Yeah, Emily, I don't know if you can find that real quick, but um, that's great. Hammer Films Antigua. H-A-M-A Films. Yeah, that's right. Antigua. Thank you again so much for your time and all your wisdom. There was a lot of great stuff in there. Thank you so much. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye.